0: Again, SMMarketingSociety.com.
1: Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And
0: now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Zeneca, and we're going to explore how to build community in Web3 and some of the great stuff that he's been doing over at Zen Academy. I think you're going to absolutely love this. By the way, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. And I am at Stelsner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. I was recently at social media marketing world, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at social media examiner, the best of the best of the guests that you hear on the social media marketing podcast, not only teach at our conference, for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. With that, let's transition over to this week's brand new interview with Zeneca.
1: Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today I'm very excited to be joined by Zeneca. If you don't know who Zeneca is, you gotta know Zeneca. He is a writer, NFT educator, and advisor. He's the founder of Zen Academy and the 333 Club. Zen Academy's mission is to empower people with Web3 training and education, and his podcast is called 2.0. Board Apes. Zeneca, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited to be here.
0: I'm super excited to have you. Today, Zeneca and I are going to explore how to build a thriving community in Web3. Full disclosure, I am a member in the Zen Academy. I'm not the 333 Club member, but I am part of your community. The reason why I wanted to bring you on is because I think you're doing some really amazing stuff that the world needs to know about. But before we go there, uh, Zeneca, I'd love to hear your story. Like, how the heck did you get into NFTs? How'd you get into Web three? Start wherever you want to start.
1: Yeah. So prior to crypto, NFTs, Web three, I was a professional poker player for I think almost seventeen years. It's literally all I did. So I started in two thousand four. I was in university college, and actually I was in high school in two thousand four. And I was playing with my friends in high school, and then I went to university college the year after, and I was doing a commerce degree, got to be a lawyer, and then I was playing online poker and making money and You know, as an 18-year-old kid, it's very difficult to stay motivated to go to university when you're able to make money at something like poker. So, I took six months off and said, "I let me see how this poker thing goes." And yada yada yada. Seventeen years later, basically got me here. I first, I mean, I dabbled in crypto in 2017. I think like a lot of people. And then the 2018 bear market hit and I was like, ah, that was a fun experiment. Let's go back to <laughs> real life, back to poker. And I didn't have that like strong, deep conviction in the technology that I, I feel like I have today. And then 2021 rolls around and I had some friends who were, the, they'd like stuck around. They were in crypto the whole time. You know, they saw what was happening with DeFi and what was happening with NFTs. And they started chatting about, you know, these JPEGs. And I literally thought they were getting scammed. Like they were paying tens of thousands of dollars for like images and that, like, digital image. It just did not make any sense to me. But, you know, after a few weeks of this, I knew that they were smart people. And I said, all right, let me not dismiss them and do some research. And that's when I really started falling down the rabbit hole. And yeah, it's basically haven't looked back since.
0: Okay. So professional poker, got to ask, can you actually make a living still just playing poker? I mean, like you were legitimate. People can. I
1: probably couldn't. I'm like not (laughs) compared to like the competition. I like, yeah, I I wouldn't suggest, uh, I wouldn't think that I could, but. There are tons of people out there still making a living playing poker.
0: Okay. So it's 2021. Your friends tell you, hey, um, you should come back into the crypto world and you got to check out these things called NFTs. So tell us a little bit more of the story. Did you buy some NFTs? And then how did that ultimately lead to you founding Zen Academy?
1: Yeah, it took me a while to buy my first NFT. I mean, I was, I didn't know what MetaMask was. Like I, I didn't know how to get even ETH into a Metamask wallet or, or pay for, I, I was very, very, very green. So it took me, you know, several weeks before I, I could fund a wallet. And I, I, def, I started dabbling in like DeFi stuff first because like that was immediately more interesting to me. The NFT stuff was a little, still like abstract, wishy-washy. I didn't quite fully grasp it. And so it was probably like a month or two of DeFi. I traded like some random coins for like three, four weeks and that was crazy and high variance and not, not the best, but eventually they started talking about more and more NFT projects. And I was like, all right, let me let me pay more and more attention. I didn't even know like where to go to like look to mint an NFT, barely knew, knew how to use OpenSea. And basically, whenever they sug- like mentioned a project, we had like a, a group chat, a WhatsApp chat. I'd be like, all right, let me go buy one or two of these. And I did that. And like the first like bunch of them didn't go anywhere. But eventually uh, things started turning around and it was actually... Uh, Zed Run, I don't know if you remember the horse racing game. That to me was like a big turning point. So That was when I was able to get in on a drop, mint a few horses, and like immediately sell them for like 10x. It was really crazy, or five to 10x. And I kept one, one or two, and one of them was a really good racer. So I was just entering this horse into races for like a month, and like you know making, I made like three ETH in a month, and like that was a ton of money for me at the time. And yeah, I was just joking around, going like I went from professional poker player to digital horse trainer, and it's like this is a crazy, crazy life trajectory. Anyway, six months of like doing more of that, DJing, flipping NFTs, buying stuff. And it was going well, the market was hot. And so like, I was really enjoying that to an extent. I started creating uh, content. I started writing a newsletter. I, I just love writing. And I, I feel like I learn better if I have to write something and explain it. So it, it was just like a perfect match for me. I started writing Twitter threads and it all just started like blowing up. I think, you know, Part of it was right place, right time. Very few other people creating content in the space then. When was that? Just so we have a comment. It was around June, 2021.
0: Okay. So this is right around when Gary V had launched V Friends or something like that?
1: Yeah. It was like a month after that. And that's when I started. And, you know, within two, three months, I mean, my, my newsletter had maybe 10,000 subscribers and 50,000 followers on Twitter. And it was like very surreal to me because it was not at all planned.
0: On the newsletter, what were you, I mean, on the, on the Twitter and the, and the writing, what were you writing about back then?
1: Yeah. So my newsletter was, I would basically do a deep dive on an individual project, each newsletter. So the first one, I'm trying to think, it might've been like Gutter Cat Gang, if you remember that project back then. And then like eventually I did Bored A Yacht Club and then just like whatever project was minting that week, I would talk about it. And because no one else was talking about it, it, just everyone in the space started following it. And it was just, yeah, I was like, oh, this is, I was doing like three of them a week. It was like relatively short, just literally News breaking down. All right, this is a project. This is a. Myth, this is what happened, and yeah, just totally blew up. And then it evolved into something else today. But that's my newsletter and my Twitter. It started off just like random threads talking about projects, but then I think in June as well, I started tweeting these these Excel spreadsheets of the floor price of a whole bunch of projects. So basically, like the floor price is how you determine the the general price of a project or an asset. It's there's more nuance to it, but that's basically how everyone dictates whether a project doing well or good, well or not, it's floor price going up or down. And nowhere existed that you could find it. There were no websites, even like the top marketplaces like OpenSea did not show the floor price of an NFT. You had to do it like eight clicks before you could finally figure it out. Wow. And so I started doing that myself for like just my own personal tracking. And then I created this little spreadsheet. And then eventually I tweeted it out one day and it just, everyone started retweeting like, Hey, this is so good. Like I, I, I this saved me time. I look for this every day. And I was like, I feel like I struck an herb and then just, I did it every single day for six months. Okay.
0: So you go from being a poker player into this world of DeFi, decentralized finance, and then you finally get into NFTs. You start writing about the NFTs. You start talking about these projects from your perspective, the facts about the project so people can probably decide if they want to purchase them or not. And then eventually you start realizing there's not really good data out there, right? Because as a poker guy, you're a data guy, right? So you're like providing these spreadsheets. Everybody's like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's funny because- It I was can't... so
1: <laughs> basic, but it, <laughs> it was better than anything else out there. Yeah,
0: and and today, obviously, these are all standard things, right? But so then how did Zen Academy come about? It's obvious you must have had a light bulb moment where you're like, okay, people are really into what I'm doing here. I think I might want to do something more.
1: Yeah, so it would have been around August, 2021 where I had been like, in the space for maybe six months now and it was going well. I was finding success trading and flipping and, and at the same time creating content. And I realized I didn't love the trading, the flipping, the, that degen lifestyle. I had just done 17 years as a poker player and it just wasn't rewarding. One, one thing the world is, just absolutely doesn't need is professional poker players. We add nothing to society, literally. It's just like the world does not need professional poker players, but we can exist. And the world does not really need people flipping JPEGs either. I never felt like I was, oh, I'm doing good for the world, helping people, adding anything like that. My content, on the other hand, that was like, I had this warm, fuzzy feeling inside. It was like, because people would reach out and they'd be like, oh, I read your article, it really helped me, thank you. Or you know you your daily stat posts on Twitter are, are really informative. And it was just like this, like you said, a light bulb moment. Where I was like, all right, this is what I want to be doing. I don't want to spend, I spent 17 years playing poker. I don't want to be like another 10 years just trading and it's very competitive PVP. I've got a good thing going here with content seems to be helping people. I seem to be good at it. I like doing it and I can potentially make money from it. And so all those things combined, I was like, all right, let me take a step back from doing trading and lean more into the content. And that's when I started thinking about like monetizing, because if you're going to make it your entire career, you want you an want a, a, a income stream, traditional web, two ways you know, you, you have a paid newsletter, you have a Patreon, you, you run sponsors and ads on, on YouTube or whatever. But being in the Web3 space, I thought, well, maybe there's a way to sell an NFT as a way to just monetize my life and and potentially build something larger. And that was like the, the uh, genesis of the idea of Zen Academy, because I was like, well, maybe it can be membership to a community where we educate and create content and get more writers in. And it just all started from there.
0: Yeah. So give us the quick skinny on how that went and then kind of bring us up to the present.
1: Yes. I mean, that was like August. I had the idea. Actually, my initial idea was like a lot larger than what actually eventuated. I thought, you know, everyone has such a difficult time onboarding into crypto and NFT. There's so much to learn. The learning curve is extraordinarily steep. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if there was like just a one-stop shop that like, you know, we all have friends or family members that, you know, especially during the bull run, they come to us and they're like, Crypto is on the news all the time. Should I be getting into Bitcoin? Can you tell me? And, you know, you take a deep sigh, <laughs> especially this is the 20th time that has happened. And it's a lot. You have to explain a lot of complicated stuff to get them up to speed. And even then, it's extremely risky. I was like, what if we could all just send people to one place? What if that place was Zen Academy? It's like had a timeline of what happened and what a blockchain is and all that kind of stuff. And so I got really excited by that idea. And then I realized like how monumental of a task it is to create that sort of experience not just create it, but keep it updated because the space is changing freaking every day. And so I put a pin in that monstrous idea and I said, well, let me just go back to basics. And what if I just literally start with an NFT that is access to a private Discord server where I will hang out and communicate with people, we'll learn together and like we'll just build from the ground up. And I don't know, like I literally had no roadmap, no plan. I said, I don't know where this is going to lead. I just know that I want to be full-time Web3, full-time NFTs, creating content, educating, and we'll take it from there. And that was like, that's the way that we launched. We launched in November 2021 with an open edition, basically meaning that people could mint however many of these tokens as they want. It was 0.033 ETH mint price. It was like $120, $150 at the time. ETH was very high, the good old days. And yeah, it was open for two weeks. A bunch of people minted. And that was like the start of Zen Academy. I should say in parallel to all of this, the 333 Club, uh, I also launched. So basically... When people could mint, they could choose between two tiers, two options. Uh, everything I've been talking about, right, up until now, has been Zen Academy, the Genesis tier, the you know there are eight thousand tokens minted. It's a large community. The three three club was sort of my idea, where uh, I thought maybe a smaller community would be more impactful and meaningful. And I had like a lot of people coming to me to like ask me to be an advisor or consultant for their projects. Which is kind of crazy, given you know I was only eight months into the space or something, but it moves fast. And I thought, well, maybe instead of that, I could realistically be an advisor for like three people at once or something like that. What if I create a community where you know I, I make my calendar available x hours a month to community members and teach them and work with them, and they can then work together and and so it'd be much more. It was very much targeted towards founders and builders and had a much higher price point, three point three three ETH, which uh, was very significant at the time and. Yeah, so they both launched and then, you know, for several months, it was very much, you know, trying to figure things out. Again, no roadmap, see what works, see what doesn't. And slowly started hiring, you know, it was basically just me at the start. There were some volunteer mods in the Discord because, again, hadn't raised any money. There were were community members that wanted to help out. And then over the course of 2022, basically scale the team up to 20-ish people. I think seven full-time, the rest part-time in one extent or another. Uh, People coming in to help with marketing, community building, events, content creation, YouTube, all sorts of other stuff. It's just been so much fun building the team over the year and a bear market, but it was like, it was, I was enjoying the bear market because we were building so much through it.
0: Well, folks, and I can tell you Zeneca and what Zen Academy is doing is absolutely phenomenal and it's super exciting. And clearly community has been the core of really what you've built You know, you said you have, well, how many members would you say total about 8,000? Is that what you think?
1: So in terms of unique token holders, there's probably around five, five and a half thousand there. Okay. But we have a large discord where there's free members. There's tens of thousands in there.
0: So this is, first of all, a story that I wanted to spend a little bit more time on because folks that are listening, if you aren't familiar with Zeneca, you will be because of the work that he's doing. And I'm super excited about it. My next question is community. You know, in the beginning it was content for you, right? In the beginning it was content that you're publishing probably on Substack or Twitter. And then eventually it's about token gating a special community, right? And I would love you to kind of explain to people that are listening that are maybe interested in doing something in the world of web three why community is really critical in web three.
1: Yeah, it's it has basically almost become a buzzword and almost trite in the space. Everyone Especially last year was using community all the time to like sell products and say, "Oh, we're doing it for community." And obviously, some people hijacked the word and, and did things that were not exactly amazing. But the, the reason community has become such a important word and topic, I believe, is because for the first time, really ever, the blockchain technology and NFTs allows communities to form where the members have ownership and like an, an actual financial stake, an emotional stake, more like having ownership gives you more of an emotional stake in the entirety of the community. So in the past, we've had, you know, communities have existed since the dawn of time, since humankind. Online communities have existed for decades, you know, online forums and Facebook groups and and gaming guilds and all that kind of stuff. But only when NFTs really came along could the community members have like financial incentive. And that, that creates this beautiful symbiotic relationship and flywheel where the people that maybe create the community are incentivized to do good things so people want to join the community people in the community are incentivized to strengthen the community so new people want to join and like the entire thing can grow nicely together it's, it's again not without pitfalls there's a whole tons and tons of projects that are just like ponzi schemes where it's like the greater fool theory where people are just like well i'm going to be in the community to find other people to come and buy my token and i'm going to leave but the essence is you know if you do it right you can really empower people to, you know, and, and incentivize them in ways that wasn't really possible prior to Web3.
0: Do you feel like community has really been the key to your success outside of your content, of course? I mean, like as far as the next level of what you're trying, did you hire from within the community? Was that was that where you found a lot of your hires?
1: Literally every single hire. Came from, I've never looked at a resume, a CV. I've never, it was every single person came from within the community. So like, to me, that is, it's everything. It's the lifeblood of what I do. I, I don't think I would be anywhere near as successful as I am today, whatever success it is, if it wasn't for the community that had formed around, ra- like you mentioned content, it's definitely started with the content. And like, there's a distinction here between like an audience and a community. It definitely started more in an audience where I was writing in like app people. But then, you know, the community formed around that content and started engaging and interacting with each other. And if I can, you know, empower them and amplify that and support that in some way. I think it's, it's just, it's a really beautiful thing.
0: I'm inspired by your story and I would love to dig in a little bit on how we can, how anyone who's listening, cause we've got creators, entrepreneurs, marketers working for big, small companies, individuals that want to leave corporate world and go off on their own. Obviously all the artists and creators and they're very interested in community. Maybe they know their craft. Maybe they're really good artists, or maybe they're good content creators, or maybe they're good marketers, but they don't necessarily understand how to build the kind of community that you've built. So let's start with like how, what do you recommend, or what are th- some of the things you've done You know that we can talk about specifically related to growing a really thriving community?
1: I, I think... There's several things. A big part of it is having clarity in like what the community is and what it's for and like understanding the values that the me, the person at the top, the leadership team, the rest of the team, and the community members are like are there for and and, and will be attracted to and staying true to that because as soon as you start changing things up all the time, you start confusing people and that like disentangles a community. So like clarity and alignment, sort of brand cohesion and all that kind of stuff knowing what you're good at and sort of sticking to it. And ideally it starts as like a niche and growing from there and attracting people who are interested in that. So, you know, for me, NFT education and content around NFTs, that's where it all started. But now the community, you know, we have a channel on Discord all about AI because that's the biggest thing. And we're all, you know, it's the same people, but now we have evolved to you know, grow together and talk about different topics. But I think starting out, you know, have a niche, be focused, be clear in who you are and aligned in like the values and ethos that you're trying to instill in the community. And that will attract other people who resonate with those. And then don't like change and, and mix things up. And like, you know, if you're a community about, I don't know, gardening, you know, there's tons of online communities around gardening, don't all of a sudden be like, oh, you know, now we're going to just spend 50% of the time talking about like video games. Like that, Those are two very distinct crowds. And you want to like stay true to like the the reason people found that community in the first place and like nurture and and yeah, spend a lot of time. Yeah. I, I always say communities built like one by one.
0: Did you know when you were starting out what your why was? Did you have a sense of this thousand true fans concept or was this something you figured out along the way?
1: I would say I figured it out along the way. I, I had an inkling as to my why, which was just like uh, wanting to create content in the web three space and educate and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't, as clear as it is now and the thousand true fans idea didn't really i mean obviously that, that has existed for a long time that that um, idea but i didn't even become aware of it i think till partway through 2022 And i was really like that's kind of what we've been doing like building you know one by one relationships
0: so in your case at least prior to you having this channel on ai you said your community is really all about helping people understand the NFT space is that essentially what I'm hearing you say?
1: Yes, I would, I would say it's helping people understand the NFT space and like go, go from zero to one. But it's also help like there's a lot of people who now have been in the space for a year, eighteen months, and so it's definitely there are a lot more like advanced discussions going on as well. People might be launching their own projects, and are there are developers in there. And it's I would say there's like basically three tiers of the community now that the way that I think of it, that we have the students that like the base tier was like. Brand new to the space, very green, need to know like terminology and like the lingo and uh, how to set up a MetaMask wallet and what gas is and all that kind of stuff. Then we have like the more intermediate, I guess is the, the best way of putting it. And those people who've been in the space for a little while, they're like, they're maybe they're D they're okay with more risk, they understand like slang and lingo, and we're a lot more casual in conversations with them because you know, with pure beginners, you need to hold their hand a little bit and you don't want to say something that they might take the wrong way and then make like lose a bunch of money with people who have been in the space for a year plus. It's like you can be more casual with your conversation. And then I would say the top tier or the third tier is founders and builders and people really launching their own projects and doing their own things.
0: I love this. So how did you actually go about making sure that this this vision for this group was ultimately communicated to everyone? Let's talk about communication because obviously you care a lot about communication being a writer, you know, and I'm also a writer. So how did you intentionally go and communicate this to the community to help kind of everyone understand what the community was all about?
1: I, I wrote a way too many words. <laughs> that I mean, you said it right there. I'm a writer. I love writing to a fault. And the actual NFT token is literally a letter where I just write a message to people telling them what to expect. The website where we minted from, it was like there were five pages and they were all just giant walls of text. And I showed it to people and they're like, this is great. You might want to break it up, add some images and graphs. And we, I think there was one small table I added in afterwards, but I was like, no, this is, you know, people should know who I am and what they're getting into. And you know, I, I explained it in very clear details. Like there's no roadmap. I'm not promising anything, but I'm very excited and I want to build something in this space and I want to do it along with people. And you know, I think we can build something special together. And I'm, I'm certain that probably 90% of people that hit that webpage took one look at it and were like, all right, I'm off. And, you know, we live in this TikTok era where our attention spans are small, but for the you know 10 percent of people that took the time to read it and decided to mint and join the community, it's almost like a, a filter of sorts that you know now it ensures that the type of people in the community are way more likely to stick around, be there for the right reasons, know what they're getting themselves in for, which is you know hopefully not just a quick flip and exit, but you know, we're trying to build something for years and years. So basically, I communicated with just word vomit. <laughs>
0: So I want to dig in a little bit on some of the things that you communicated. First of all, let's talk about what being authentic means to you and how you were authentic. And then let's also break down some of the things that you actually communicated. And we'll get into like how you went about doing that in a little bit more depth.
1: I think authenticity is it's important any anywhere in life. But I think it's like especially important in the crypto Web3 sphere. And the reason that is, is because there are a lot of people out there trying to trick you and scam you and just part you with your hard-earned money. And so the space in and of itself, like the, it's relatively a small community. It's much larger now, but still small. Uh, has sort of put up like their guard and like raises defense mechanism that whenever anyone enters or starts being inauthentic, like, a lot of people will be like, oh, that, you know, I, I can spot that a mile away They're They're just here to make money. They're, they're like a fair weather community member. They're not going to stick around. So authenticity is really important. And I guess I recognize that somewhere along the way, but I, to me, it's just sort of, you be honest with people and tell them what you're thinking and what your intentions are. And that's kind of, that's it. And, you know, it, you don't have to worry. as much.
0: So did you, t- did you tell them, I mean, I love the fact that you said, look, I don't have a roadmap, but I hope to figure it out. I mean, what other kinds of things were you telling people so that they would trust
1: you? Well, literally on the webpage, there was a not a roadmap link. And it was like, I was telling them this exact same thing. But I, I think that bred trust, It, you know, because people had heard a thousand times before, oh, this is our roadmap. We're going to deliver merch and live events and, you know, a DAO and metaverse, metaverse, yeah. a game, all this stuff. And people like, oh, that sounds really, really cool. Bye, bye, bye. And then they realize, oh, that's actually never going to happen. And the project's going to fizzle out and they lose their money. And I just definitely didn't want to do that. I didn't want people to FOMO in. And so by being blunt and very honest and transparent, like I genuinely didn't have a roadmap. So I I had some friends that pulled me aside after launch and they were like, all right, cool. So really, what are your plans? And I was like, I I have none. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. And so just being authentic. But how
0: did you convey the vision, right? The vision was to create something. Were you transparent early about your vision of building something really big that was going to help onboard a lot of people into Web3?
1: I would say not until after the Mint did I start saying anything like that. And even maybe four months after Mint, people would ask me, you know, you know what are you thinking? Where are we going from here? And I was, my, you could go back and find my responses. I was like, I'm happy with our small little community. I don't want to build an empire. I don't want to like t- compete with large companies and brands. It's like I want to like a stress-free casual life. And we do our thing. And I think that's fine. Somewhere along the way, that sort of changed and my ambitions got, I guess, like, had ambitions and they they grew. And I was like, all right, maybe we can onboard millions into the space. Maybe we can become a really well-established entity and, and known brand and presence and be at events around the world and help people and just like do all sorts of cool things, consulting and more media. And it definitely grew over time. But for the first several months, it was still, you know, everything I was communicating was not to be build something massive or epic.
0: Okay, so what were you communicating in the early days to people? And what was it about? How did that
1: help develop community? So I think, again, it comes back to just the environment that this community formed in were all these projects that were promising the world and then delivering nothing and people were losing money. So it was almost like a breath of fresh air when I came along, when Zen Academy came along, where I was like, all right, you know, right, we're not going to promise you the world. But maybe that's a that's a good thing, and and you know maybe that makes you feel a little more comfortable. And again, it did not attract probably ninety percent of the space who wanted that quick money and flip. But another filtering mechanism, so that the people that were like, "All right, I, I resonate with this. This is a more practical, pragmatic, logical approach. I'm okay with paying whatever it was. You know, the the basic pass is not even that expensive. Point oh three ETH for a lifetime membership to whatever I build. So. If you get a year out of year of value out of it, it's probably worth it. And everything after that. So there are enough people that were like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a punt on this and basically a leap of faith that something meaningful will be built. And if not, well, that's life sometimes.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you started communicating via your Substack newsletter, your Twitter spaces, your Twitter threads, your letters from Zeneca. And these things, I think, if I'm not mistaken they're out there for the whole world to consume, whether or not people belong to the Zen Academy. Is that correct? So what kind of information were you communicating through this content that was helping maybe people want to invest in the community?
1: Yeah, a wide variety of stuff. So uh, this was still when I was doing my daily Twitter threads and posts of like floor price stats. So there were a lot of people that would write to me and be like, hey, I, I just want to send you a tip, or if you had, you know, I want to pay you for this service is really valuable. And so there were certainly some people that bought the token just as a way of supporting me for the work I had already done. But that kind of content, people were like, all right, this is content that helps me, saves me time, is valuable. So maybe in the future, there'll be more of that coming out of Zenica Zen Academy. My newsletter was, you know, it started out with like deep dives on projects and breakdowns and sort of expanded to more generalist thoughts on the space. But generally with a view of like, Giving people insight or practical tips or advice or ways to improve their lives or their, you know, their bankroll or whatever it might be, and it was kind of like a, a wide variety of content that was all put out there for free, and people sort of liked it enough to want to be part of Zen Academy.
0: So the three 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 Club. Talk to me about how you you mentioned briefly, well, when we were prepping the interview, the concept of doing the unscalable for these members of this club. So how did, and you mentioned that you sold these for 3.3 ETH, which is a lot. I don't know if they're still selling for 3.3 ETH. I think they might be more than that today. I'm not sure. But what is it about the 333 club that really helped develop uh, a sub-community, if you will, inside of your community?
1: Doing the unscalable, that was, again, another thing I hadn't heard that term until maybe Eight months after launch. But looking back, it's basically what I did. And it also goes to like building a thousand true fans one by one. So, with the 333 club, effectively, at the time we were la- a month before we launched, I put out an application form. And because I already knew that I didn't want to just tweet a link and have anyone in the space mint it, because I would get a lot of people that would uh, flip it and not be there for the right reasons and would like go against the thesis and, and approach I was trying to take. And so I put an application form. It was pretty basic and it was intended to A, like just I think a lot of people wouldn't have even filled it out. This was well before people were used to filling out applications. And B to just try and find people that maybe aligned with what we were trying to build, you know, for both of our benefits. Like if people were looking for like an alpha group, I was very clear like that is not what we're trying to build. We're more about launching projects and helping each other and doing all that kind of stuff. So I launched an application. There were about 1500 people that replied within, you know, a couple of weeks for 333 spots. I went through it over the next two weeks, uh, selected 333, added them to the mint list. And then the day I mint tweeted out, you know, all right, mint is open. Here's a link to the mint list. You can find your address on there. And if it's there, you can mint and maybe two people minted on the first date. Uh, wow. you know, maybe, okay. maybe five. I I, I don't know. And so I was like, all right, that that was like a real punch to the gut because you know going into that I was like, oh wow, fifteen hundred people, wow, this is going to instantly sell out, and I'm so great, and like my head was, my ego was really out of control, and that definitely brought me back down to earth, and I was had to think about like what happened, and in, in reflection, I was terrible at communicating that people were on the list. I was terrible at marketing. Uh, I didn't really know anything about it. I was like, all right, people applied, I'll add them to the list, and then tell them, and then they can mint, and you know. Twitter algorithm, probably 80% of people didn't even see that single tweet. It wasn't like I didn't repeat it in multiple places. I didn't email them. I didn't DM them. It was just, you know, I'm just going to open it and see what happens. That was part of it. Another part is it was like a month between when people applied and the mint, the market had changed. They were entering a bit of a bearish phase. ETH was at all time high. Gas was really high. So a lot of people may have changed their mind and did change their mind. They didn't want to mint anymore. And so I was like, all right, well, what do we do from here? Where do we go? And I basically decided after like, I don't know, three hours of laying on the couch with like a pit in my stomach, I was like, all right, well, can't change the past. What are we do going forward? And I, I went through and like literally DM'd every single person that applied and was just like, all right, you know, just so you know, you know, you were on the mint list because some people might not have known. And then I, I went through all those people first and some of them minted. Some of them were like, sorry, change their mind. Some of them didn't reply. And then, uh, once I went, gone through all of those, I, I went through everyone else that, you know, in reverse order of like people I, I wanted in basically or in order of people I wanted in. And yeah, it was just like, Hey, you know, this, what this happened, there are still spots available. Are you interested? Do you have any questions for me? Let me know. Happy to talk you through it, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it literally took like four months to go through a thousand plus people DMing every single day for a few days. And then maybe I take a week break here and there and Twitter DMs are a nightmare to manage. It was, it was chaos, but that was like <laughs> one by one building a community and like every you know, slowly built up momentum. And then, yeah, you know, once you get to 100, 150, 200, then people are like, oh, and the floor price was an interesting dynamic occurred where people could mint for 3.33 ETH, but the secondary market, they were selling for like six, five, six, seven ETH. Because a few people went through that whole process, minted, and then, you know, either they, their only intention was to flip it or it wasn't what they wanted or whatever. So a few had sold. And so then there was this like interesting dynamic where if I accepted someone, it was like an instant opportunity that I could go and sell it if they decided and make like, Five thousand dollar profit or an eight thousand dollar profit, and so it, it made me even more uh, like restrictive with who I chose because so I was like, well, I don't really want to just give it to people that are going to instantly sell it. I'd rather find the people that want to be part of it. So it was just, just like I don't know, four to six month long journey.
0: Did you end up retaining some of the NFTs for yourself, or did you end up using giving all th- through hundred thirty three
1: out? I have one for me, which I kept, and I think we have either two or three in the company treasury basically we got to a point where there were three left and yeah i was just like i'm just gonna like it's getting hellish to pick people and at this point and just in case as well because there had been instances where like in this six months of thousand dms someone would say hey uh i'm really interested but i just need a little time to get the money together or uh you know there are instances of people who were in ukraine while the war broke out and were like all right can you give me some extra time and so i knew that some people had said you know, all right, take as much time as you want. And so there was this in the back of my mind, maybe in two, three months, someone reaches out. And so I wanted to keep just a few in those circumstances, but I think we still have all of them. No one actually ended up reaching back out.
0: So first of all, thank you so much for sharing uh, the story of how you started. And in the beginning, you really didn't have a plan. And over time you began kind of figuring out your plan through actively communicating with the community. And I would imagine there was also active participation with the community as well, right? I mean, like, was there a lot of Twitter Spaces with the community, or was it inside a Discord? How it was you, more in Discord? You were yeah. okay, so you were using the Discord stage to do a lot of whatever they call it live live audio. Were you showing up there every week, or how were you doing that exactly?
1: Yeah, well, in the early days, I with the three three three, I was like. I think once or twice a week, we'd have a, a audio call in discord and just, we had two actually, one was casual, we had three, one was casual chats. One was a three to three member would like pitch their project and present it to the rest of the community for like feedback and ideas and that. And then there was one, maybe every few weeks that was more of like a, I think town hall is what people refer to it. As, where that's like, I tell people like where the project is, what our plans are or whatever plans we may have had, ask for feedback and they can ask questions. And so there's a lot of back and forth with the 333. With Zen Academy, it was less in the sense of like audio spaces where we communicated. It was more like every now and then I'd make an announcement and then like be in the text chats, replying to people and and chatting with them that way.
0: Did you have a lot of volunteer moderators inside the Discord that were helping kind of nurture community or were you doing any other activities ongoing inside of the Discord to kind of make people that had, because it sounds like you said you have tens of thousands of people in the Discord that don't hold the NFT. So was there certain stuff that was going on for those NFT holders inside the Discord that the rest of the Discord for your members didn't get?
1: Yeah, so basically the the way it was after launch was that, so we had the Discord prior to launch as well, prior to when there was an NFT. And sometime in October, I I basically closed the Discord and like to new members and gave everyone that had been in there prior to October, uh, a special role, OG role. And I was like, you can stay in the Discord you know, forever, effectively. And I'm not going to like make you buy a token to stay somewhere you've already been hanging out. But new members would have to either buy a token or we came up with this idea where uh, we would give read-only access to free members. So if you couldn't, because I knew that people maybe couldn't afford or justify, especially if the token price went up over time, I've always been at odds with the idea of like gating educational content. So I was like, I want to make as much of it as free as possible for everyone. And I I had so many people tell me not to do that. (laughs) They were like, you know, it takes value away from the people who bought the token and maybe people aren't comfortable with people being flies on the wall. And we've gotten to the point now where that model has changed. And it is, there are large parts of the Discord that you have to have a token for, but we have built out the free member area more and more. And yeah, anyway, to get back to your original question, a lot of volunteer mods, I think we had like 10 to 15. Again, before the Mint, Hadn't raised money. It was all volunteers. And then in December, so we minted in November. In December, I took all the royalties that we earned that month. And I believe it was all the royalties that month and like split them evenly between the mods as like compensation. And I think in January is when I went through and like you know, some mods were like, they were turning up once a month or once a week. And then some were like there all the time. So I was like, all right, I found, you know, the eight to 10 that wanted to stay, and I thought were being the most value additive and, and hired them.
0: So let's talk about some of the things that you've done related to a micro-communities and also your social growth initiative.
1: Yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot more recently, where for the most part, up until like the last month or two, Zen Academy has grown as like one giant community and the 333 Club within that is like a, a smaller sub-community. And that's kind of good and great, but I think that there's a lot of value in micro-communities, where it's you know, instead of thousands of people or even hundreds, you can get 10, 20, 50 people together and empower them in some way to make them feel like they're getting value, actually give them value, make them feel more connected with other community members as well as with the community at large, and then go out there and you know spread the word if they so desire or just get a better experience out of it. And so one thing we'd started, I think, three, four weeks ago was you know, there, there are a lot of people in Discord that want to grow their Twitter following or just uh, an audience, or a newsletter, and just general social media growth strategies in one way or another. And there were just occasional questions here, there, and everywhere. We decided, well, let's create a whole section of the Discord where the focus is on social growth and just really empower the community members to like help each other out and like we would be there to help them. And it, that was like really well received. And then a week ago, I started a 28-day challenge in the Discord where every single day, I basically post a call to action, share some information about how they can maybe improve their social media presence like the Twitter bio or finding your niche or thinking about who you're writing for and then to share that in the chat with other community members. And like that, every single day, gets people coming back into the Discord, reading what other people are up to and like gets just really strengthens the community, I think. And so I want to do more of those micro... Community initiatives going forward.
0: You did a burn mechanism with your original NFT, where people get Zen chests, which I happen to have one of those. And we're going to be able to burn the Zen chest to get a profile picture NFT project. Right? Is the PFP going to be the membership to the community moving forward? Yes. And what? And why did you decide to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a really good question. The, the PFP will be the membership. So we had the Zen Academy Genesis token minted in November 2021, and then about. Four months ago, people could burn that for the Zen chest. And then in a couple months, people will be able to burn that for the PFP. The utility remains exactly the same across. And the maximum total supply of those will always be 10,000 maximum. So yeah, it's effectively the membership token. The reason we decided to do a PFP and like take these extraneous steps to you know change from the original token was... And, and when we first launched, I was very intentional in not wanting to do a PFP. Because I said, you know, there's a million PFP projects out there. The space does not need yet another one. Let me just do a membership token. It's going to serve our purposes. But over the course of, you know, the year after we launched, a lot of community members said they would love a Zen Academy PFP because they want to represent Zen Academy and like like identify as a Zen Academy member on social media to be able to like show others and have other people find them. And so like that sort of got my thoughts like ticking along. And I was like, well, maybe there is something to it maybe. And, And so like I think around June last year is when we sort of decided, all right, let's, move forward with doing a PFP, and then it was many, many months of how do we do it? How do we go from the original tokens? Do we do an allow list, a mint do we and, and one thing we didn't want to do was expand the community size because so many projects in the past have like they have 10,000 and then they launch another 10,000, and then the price of everything crashes, and no one loves it, and it's just like it, it's not really needed. I, I didn't feel like we needed additional tokens. I think the rewarding is existing members with a PFP, and then maybe a new members will join was basically the approach that we took. And we we did come up with an idea to expand the community size, and that is with student IDs, which are launching. Actually, they're meant to launch today. We decided to push it to tomorrow. They're they're these free NFTs. They're soul bound, which means they can't be sold or transferred. So there's no speculative financial nature to them. And they're unlimited in supply. So literally anyone in the world who wants to be part of Zen Academy will now be able to mint an NFT and actually become part of the community.
0: First of all, that's super cool. Was there uh getting some liquidity into Zen Academy? Was this part of the strategy here with doing the chess to kind of get secondary royalties? And then ultimately with the PFPs, was this kind of a way of essentially um, generating some potential revenue for Zen Academy without it essentially, and giving people an exit strategy maybe that had been in from the beginning? Was that kind of the idea here?
1: That was definitely part of the conversation because for the Zen Academy portion, we, like, we didn't generate that much revenue. Obviously, the 3-for-3 3 3 Club generated quite a lot more right? And, and that effectively has been subsidizing the rest of the community for a long time. But ongoing revenue has been royalties heavily and that mostly comes from Zen Academy. So it's kind of working in a nice symbiotic way. But I identified and knew, like a lot of people, that royalties probably isn't a sustainable business model going forward. How do we sort of progress from there and where do we go? And came up with a bunch of ideas. One was the PFP. A to generate more activity and some more secondary market volume for royalties, but also our plan is to withhold a thousand tokens. We've, we've got a thousand tokens that we're going to sell somehow to the community. This part is still TBD, maybe probably some sort of application where people can buy at a discount, like a scholarship system, something like that to generate revenue. But also we're exploring membership subscription models where people could potentially activate their student ID and get like instead of buying a token for a lifetime membership, they can get a monthly membership or a yearly. I think that there's some cool things we can do there that I'm really excited about. And we have some other like we're now exploring like you know sponsored content and ads and uh, all the traditional web two stuff which you know we hadn't really done until now. Now it's like well all right probably should be doing that because good revenue streams.
0: Yeah, this is the part that really I'm excited about. You know, entrepreneur to entrepreneur is that you've got some big plans. I mean, like I've seen your table, right? Your little chart thing. And yeah. I think there was like a consultancy in there. And I think there was like all sorts of different stuff that you hope to build. Right. And what I think is so exciting about folks that are listening right now, Zenica is very humble, but he is also a guy that keeps on the cutting edge of what's going on. He's a regular and Carly Riley's weekly wrap ups with overpriced JPEGs often talking about the state of the marketplace. You've been advisors to some big projects in the past, like blur, and you've got your hands on a lot of things. And, and I think that it's super exciting to kind of see where you're going to go, because it's clear to me that you're building a media empire. And what's cool is that was never your vision. I don't think. And somewhere along the line, somebody inspired you and said, bro, Look where you can go.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It was not the immediate plan or vision. And even well after launch, it wasn't the plan. And it's funny you say media empire because as we were putting together that flow chart or like that org chart rather of all our plans, there's consulting, there's live events and retreats and all sorts of other stuff that we want to do. Somewhere around then, someone asked me, maybe on a, a podcast or something else, we're like, what kind of, like what is Zen Academy? What kind of company is it? What kind of, uh, and I was like, we're actually a media company, if, if I really think about it. Content is the core of what we are. Everything stems from that. And yeah, now we've sort of like doubled, tripled down on the content. Now we're trying to release more courses, books, eBooks, guides, all sorts of stuff. Again, trying to do as much of it as possible for free, but exploring paid options because, well, bills to be paid.
0: <laughs> Folks that are listening that are, have followed me for more than a decade on uh, the Social Media Examiner and Social Media Marketing Podcast side... It just goes to show you what a very small group of people can accomplish, right? Like 5,000 active members in your community is not huge, right? But but they're, they're vested interests in seeing you succeed because of the nature of Web3, which I think is so fascinating. Zenica, we could go on for a long time, but tell everybody where they can follow you on your preferred social platform. I know you're doing a daily Twitter space. Maybe we want to talk about that and also where they can learn more about Zen Academy, the student IDs and all that fun stuff
1: yeah absolutely so twitter is where i'm most active at zeneca i actually just got that (laughs) ad account like a week ago so that's where you can find me there for the daily twitter space just started a week ago monday through friday 3 30 p.m eastern we go live it's one hour show it's education is the primary focus but we have fun with it it's just yeah definitely recommend checking out would love to have you there and everything zen academy related zenacademy.com is you know you can find you can claim your student id there Presumably when this goes out, we'll launch it tomorrow if all goes to plan and uh, find all our other links out there.
0: Zenica, thank you so much for coming on the show and answering all my questions. I'm really excited to see where you're going to go.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was really fun.
0: Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W62. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world.
1: The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research.